Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And are you noticing all the breakthroughs? Are you aware of the magnificent presence and power all around you and within you? There is so much positive movement in the world. We are surrounded by the beauty of the natural world and daily life is full of acts of compassion, kindness, friendship, and love. So what is real, you might ask? Do we really find it challenging to live together in our families, communities, and the world at large? Science, religion, nature, and our own experiences teach us that the whole of creation is a web of interconnectedness. And this very truth is inviting us to live in relationship with more balance and harmony. Today, we're going to explore our connection and maybe even enter into the heart of oneness. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind and heart and settle in to your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Jennifer Cavanaugh gave up her career as a literary agent to work in the community. She's a microcredit practitioner, facilitates conflict resolution workshops, and is active in the Quaker community. She has published seven books of nonfiction and one novel, and I have in front of me today, Heart of Oneness, A Little Book of Connection. And welcome, Jennifer. This book is so delightful, and it is a little book of connection. So welcome to the show. I can't wait to talk about it. Thank you. Yeah. And I have a traditional first question here, Jennifer, that I I know you're going to just be delighted to answer because the book answers it. But I have a traditional question here to kind of set our conversation in this bigger meme. And that is, can you explain or share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? All things connected. What does it mean to me? That we are connected not only with each other as human beings, not only with other living beings, but with the whole of the created world and that we are connected through the divine, which for me is um, the, the link, the interconnected being. Mm. You write about that. You write about many different pieces of our interconnectivity and I can't wait to dig into that but I am really curious about your story Jennifer you have written this delightful book and you from what I gather are so a steward of this connectivity and you're working in your community you're helping the homeless you're working with the microloans you're you're just an example a living example of this stewardship that that you write about in in your book so i would love to hear more about your story you know who is jennifer and how did you get to this place and what inspired you to write this book okay 
What inspired me to write this book was something that happened to me right at the beginning of the latter part of my faith journey. So just over 20 years ago, um, I don't say I found faith because it found me. Um, and I found myself among the Quakers. And the first thing that I was asked to do was to coordinate the soup runs that uh, a number of Quaker meetings were running in London for street homeless people. And I had absolutely no experience of anything like this. I worked in publishing. I'd never done any volunteering. Um, so I thought I'd better go on a soup run to see what it was like. And I was really nervous. I thought uh, I might be sneered at as a middle-class do-gooder, which might have been true, uh, uh, or that I might be hit over the head by a, a druggie wielding a bottle or something like that. And of course, the reality was completely different. So instead of that embarrassment as you walk past a bundle in a doorway, not knowing what to do about it, the sense of guilt, the moment that I went up to somebody and said, would you like a cup of tea? Do you take sugar? It was the beginning of a human relationship. And I realized in that moment that it could be me being that bundle in a doorway and that there's no such thing as the other. It was a huge realization, uh, which probably other people get too much earlier in life. But for me, it was an epiphany. And it was that sense of oneness with all humanity that hit me there and then. And, I, and that has really influenced um, what I've done since. Beautiful. So let, why don't we unpack the faith tradition of, of Quakers too, because I think it's such a beautiful religion and so many people don't know about it. Can you, can you speak a little bit about Quakers? Sure. It's an experience-based faith. We don't, we believe what we experience rather than what we are told so that we don't have a creed. We don't have to sign up to a particular belief. Um, we have to be true to ourselves and to be true to our experience. And we meet in stillness, mostly in silence. But if someone feels moved to speak, they can um, get up and, and say something that is for the whole group, the whole meeting, as we call it. Um, so although we don't have a creed because we believe that that the spirit is dynamic, that we might believe something tomorrow that we didn't believe yesterday, that it, we move on, our journey moves on. But we also do very much have guidelines for how we run our lives, which we call testimonies. And we generally define those as simplicity, truth, equality and peace. But that is for each of us to interpret. It's So we meet in equality. Um, we don't have a separated priesthood. We believe that God has no other hands but ours and um, that we all take responsibility. So we meet in, in silence. It's a waiting on God. It's a waiting in the presence. 
just for that help. That's beautiful. Yes. And I love that you all take responsibility that that in itself is beautiful. And so here you, the Quakers find you, your faith finds you and you go out and find this unity, this oneness on the streets, working with the homeless. And instead of the, the, the thing that comes through in your writing and just your words here today is that you didn't go out there your first fear was the separation, you know, you were separate from them. But mm-hmm. when you discovered that that could be you, um, it shifted everything. And the, the beauty the, of this story that that I would like to commend you on is that it evolved into this full-time service of relieving suffering for individuals and groups and communities. Can you tell us more about your your volunteer work and what you're doing with with the homeless, what you're doing with the microloans, just to, before we get into the, the rest of the book. I think it's really exquisite how you've stepped up to be that responsibility that you talked about. Goodness. Um, I don't do as much now as I did. Um, when faith came upon me, Um, It was as if it was a kick up the backside saying, come on, Jennifer, you've taken long enough, just get on with it. So I jumped in with both feet and I did this and that and this and that all over the place at the same time as needing to find time for contemplation and solitude. Um, But what I I have done, I mean, I did spend several years um, volunteering with street homeless people and we started a mobile library for homeless people. Um, And then I went traveling and um, when I came back, I knew that I wanted to work in prisons because so many of the homeless people that we met uh, had come out of prison, had had nowhere to go. And I thought if we could stop some of the homelessness of people as they left prison, then that might be a start. So um, I had a number of years doing projects for the Prison Reform Trust Um, And the other thing that happened right at the beginning was that I let go of my publishing work um, with the understanding that I would be guided, I would be shown. I had no idea what I would do, but it was indeed shown. And I I was asked to run a community centre in one of the poorest parts of London. And again, you know, I I stepped in with complete ignorance. But when I started running that um, community centre, I realised that some kind of financial intervention was going to be necessary um, because the women I was dealing with, who were mostly um, people from Bangladesh or Somalia, Africa, um, they needed some kind of financial intervention. And I remembered reading about microcredit 10 years before And it had really bowled me over, although I never imagined that I would be involved in it. Um, And so I applied for a Churchill Fellowship, which I got, and I went to Bangladesh and studied how to do microcredit. Microcredit is a way of lending small amounts of money to women in poverty to start their own businesses. And the crucial thing is that they form groups and they support each other. And it's a very, very beautiful thing. So I set one up in the East End of London 
And then um, I've been to a number of African countries where I've been asked to go to start microcredit programs. Um, the one thing that I really do continue with is um, conflict resolution in, in both in the community and in prisons. It's called Alternatives to Violence Project, which actually started in the States. It's very big in the States. Wow. So, you know, just deep, deep gratitude, just sincere gratitude I share with you for really reaching out to the marginalized and making it your your work and your passion with the prisons, the homeless, the poverty. Um, wow. Like, I'm I'm in honor and awe of, of no, sitting no. here with you. It's, what do you think we all get called to uh, who, you know, the people... You said my passion, it's true. It's what touches your heart. And yeah. for some people that will be working with children. And for some people it will be working with uh, people in old age um, or with mental health. Um, and for me, it seems to be the marginalized. And that's just how it's been, just how it is. And I always feel slightly, well, more than slightly, uncomfortable um, when praised, because this is such a mutual thing. Um, I get far more from it, probably, than the people I'm working with, and it's with, not for. That's a beautiful way to look at it, Jennifer, and thank you. So what would you say to those that might be listening today that feel that urge to volunteer but still have not reached out? And I, I can't agree with you more. This is a relationship with and um, this is where we're moving toward. And so if anyone's listening, saying, well, I would like to help children or I would like to help animals or pets or, or you know, a rescue program or, or feed the hungry in my hometown. What, what advice would you give them if they still haven't opened their own hearts to that community service yet? I think it's believing you can make a difference. And I think that that's what happened to me when I found the Quakers, and it didn't necessarily have to be the Quakers, it could be any group that calls you. Um, I had been brought up to believe that injustice and poverty were just too big, that the, one couldn't make a difference. But when I joined this community, I found people who were making a difference. And it was so empowering, because it made me realize that actually maybe I do something. And the crucial thing to remember is Mother Teresa said there's no such thing as a small piece of work. The moment you give it to God, it becomes infinite. And so to believe that the small seeds that you grow, which may be doing the shopping for a, a, a neighbor who's ill or anything, you just don't, or smiling at someone in the street, you may not have received a smile for a month you don't know what seeds you sow. You don't know what difference you can make. Believe you can make a difference, however small you start. Mm. Well, your book talks about how we are all interconnected and every little ripple, every seed does affect the greater whole. Let's talk about oneness. You, you wrote the book, Heart of Oneness. Let's define oneness first, because there's a lot of people using that term out in our world today. Um, it can be a buzzword. And then there's others saying, well, we're not all the same. It's not really, you talk, you write about unity as well. It's like, 
understanding ourselves within this greater whole, how do you define oneness? Well, you used the word interconnectivity earlier. Um, I would I would say that. Um, I would say the, the whole the whole universe and the word universe, of course, is is about oneness, united. Um, the whole universe is connected, and we see examples of it absolutely everywhere. Um, with, I mean, the the well-known ones are, of course, how how the bee gets nectar from the flower, and and so on, and how um, we need plants um, to to give us oxygen, and they need us. So that interconnectedness, that is one kind of oneness. Um, I just think we we human beings are connected, I and mean, we're connected through our DNA. Um, it's quite extraordinary how similar the DNA is not only between human beings, but between human beings and um, non-human animals, and even between us and the Earth's crust, we're made up of the same kinds of minerals. When you start looking, um, and I, I, my eyes were opened when I started doing research for this book, I had no idea about some of the interconnectedness that goes on with tree roots, for instance, um, the, the more you look, the more you find it. Yeah, tell us the story about the tree roots and the fungi, because I think that's a fascinating story yeah. that that maybe our listeners aren't aware of. Well, I wasn't at all. And um, I spent uh, a week on a small Scottish island um, about 18 months ago, and um, when I got to the mainland, I got a lift from someone I didn't know um, who turned out to be a fungi specialist, a mycologist. And she opened my eyes to this extraordinary thing that if you look at mushrooms, what we see above ground is, is a minute part of the plant, of the, of the, it's not a plant, of, of the fungus. Under the ground, there are kilometers of tendrils that connect with each other, that connect with other plants, that feed nutrients in, that send messages in a, in a sense. And the same is true of tree roots that interconnect both with fungi and with each other and feed nutrients into the earth. It, it's quite extraordinary. There's a wonderful book, which I really recommend called The Hidden Life of Trees. And that's where I learned a great deal about this. Beautiful. I recently heard um, this story that the this interconnectivity, like like you're saying, there's this whole ecosystem beneath the Earth's surface that's living and supportive of our life here. And the that the mother tree, there's in in wooded areas and in forests, there's one grand mother tree. Mm-hmm. And if something happens with the mother tree, the whole forest and all the the trees know this, and another tree then becomes the mother tree if if the other one is dying or injured or or cut down for some reason so mm-hmm. it's a fascinating story mm-hmm. of life well also that a forest is a community and that trees that are planted separately don't live as long because the community of trees protect each other 
um, in bad weather and so on. And that is a real message about community and human beings. Mm, I love that. So with with your research for this book, it, you you cite so many different sources in here and, and you bring this through. But you have this pattern of looking at um, many different segments of our world and how maybe we've seen it in separation and you just begin to talk about it. So I, I would love to hear you talk about a world divided or a divided world. It's one of your first chapters. Yeah. And right now, so many of our listeners are tuning into media that's showing us how divided we are. And yet you have such beautiful wisdom to share. Can you sh talk a little bit about a divided world? Yes, um, because this was the reason I wanted to write this book, really. Um, the immediate impulse for writing the book was I was asked to write uh, to give a lecture in South Africa for um, African Quakers. And the, the subject of the conference was spiritual promptings to adjust shared and sustainable future. And I wondered how, what on earth I could write about. And then it occurred to me that the opposite of those things, injustice, non-sustainability, not sharing, was when we did not believe uh, in our interconnectedness. So that, that's the reason that I started writing this. Everywhere we read or listen, or we, we see images of division, of war, of violence, of ugly acts that human beings perpetrate against each other, which I think comes mainly out of fear, out of power, hungriness, and that's on the news all the time, and it's unbelievably depressing and demoralizing. And I just think that it is so important to remember that our daily reality, our personal daily reality, is full of beautiful things. It's full of kindness, of people doing things for each other, in some cases of self-sacrifice. And if you think about the people who... Um, protected the Jews against the Nazis. If you think about somebody giving their kidney to a stranger um, or small, small acts like um, saving somebody from falling over in the street or any of those things or giving up their seat on, on a, a subway or, or a bus, this is normality. And the reason it's not news is because it's normal. Kindness is normal. This is the way that I believe that we're meant to be. And it's a kind of parallel reality to that which we read in the newspapers. I like thinking of it as a parallel reality. And what would you say to the listeners who are, are like seeing that as their normal instead of the kindness as their normal? How do we shift that consciousness? How do we tune into our interconnected reality and get out of separate self to really be in the experience of that parallel reality? I think gratitude is helpful. Um, some people have a habit, um, a practice every evening to think of three things that they're grateful for. And my experience is that as soon as you start thinking about gratitude, you find that you're grateful for everything. 
there's practically everything in life to be grateful for. Um, the sun that rises, the, the, the beauty of the trees, the, um, even the rain and the snow, which we've been suffering from rather recently, um, but it's necessary for, for, the, for the planet. Um, and and looking, looking at people in the street and smiling at people, and when you smile, they might smile back. Having random conversations with people at a bus stop can open up um, a whole world of connectedness. It may, you know, you may start talking about having to wait so long or that the weather's awful. Um, it's a commonality that you, you share with somebody that you've never met before. Mm. I was just on a call with um, a few different individuals and we were all from different places, um, even out of the country here from the U.S. There were a few from other countries. And in that moment, somebody said, is there anything negative or violent or injustice or, you know, like everything that you've written about here, this inequality, injustice, it, right now in your world, where you're at, are you aware of any of it? And without thinking of the news and going out to other examples and other stories, no one had it in their life in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it was a lovely moment to connect from that place of gratitude to go, wow, this is that alternate reality that you're talking about, that parallel reality that we are living in it and, and we're not defined by the news media. So thank you for the story. That, that was beautiful. You share all kinds of other stories in the book. And um, I just want to encourage our listeners. You can find out so much more of Heart of Oneness and Jennifer Cavanaugh at her website. I'm going to share that with you right after the break. But first, we're going to take a brief break and we'll return with so much more on the Heart of Oneness. Meditation channel, non-stop meditation music, 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation channel. Now we can make it better now. Come on, can we do it? Yeah, you know that we can. We're open up. Cause we know how to jump. We'll roll it out, roll it Cause out. Cause we know how to skate. We'll cut it down. Cut it down. Cause we know what to eat. We'll swap it out. We eat healthy stuff. Can we do it? Yeah, you know that we can. Can we do it? Today's a good day to grab your kids and hang out with them for an hour. Dance, walk, play a sport, or cook a healthy meal. Because just moving a little and eating better every day can help make you and your child healthier. Can we do it? Yeah, you know that we can. We'll ball it up. Because we know how to hoop. We'll mess around. Because we know how to play. We'll drop it down. Because we know how to dance. We'll veg 
Search We Can online to find doable tips and activities that you can use every day to keep you and your kids healthy. Remember, that's We Can. A message from the Ad Council, HHS, and NIH's We Can program. Peekaboo. Peekaboo. Smile. Smile, buddy. Come on. Smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism. And we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. An entire station devoted to your personal development. Welcome to Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with author and beautiful person, Jennifer Cavanaugh. You can find out so much more about Jennifer's work and her books at jennifercavanaugh.co.uk. That's Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R. K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H dot C-O dot U-K. Jennifer, right before the break, we were, well, we were talking about so many beautiful things, but I really want to follow through on this this book and, and where you've come from with The Divided World. And you've you've really kind of organized the book into our, our connectedness with ourselves, with the earth, with humans, other humans, with the animals. Um, Talk a little bit about these different areas that, that you've brought in and, and showed us our inner connectivity. Okay, well, it seemed important to look at the different areas because I think we can take things for granted. Um, so looking first at other human beings, um, sort of branching out from our local communities to uh, a wider wider communities to the entire world, um, all the ways in which we connect um, and how reliant we are on other people, for instance, for our food, for our buildings, and a lot of what we wear um, may come from the other side of the world. Um, so no, nobody is alone. We, we, we think that, however, 
we think that we're alone, um, but we are always part of community, however isolated we might feel. Um, so that that's the sort of human side of it. Um, because of our similarity to other animals, um, not, not just DNA, but in terms of the way we rely on other animals, um, I wanted to look at that whole relationship, which is actually a very uncomfortable thing to analyze because we ill treat non-human animals so much. Um, we, we might have got past some of the worst ways in which we ill treated animals, but even in the, in the food chain, the, the way we treat animals, um, obviously we, we, we kill them for meat and you know meat eaters um, may try and find um, ethical ways of, of um, sourcing the meat that they use. And, but there's still a lot of cruelty involved. I think we do need to look at all the ways in which we um, engage with animals and see if it is a truly equal kind of relationship. I think we're moving from that whole human beings as dominating the rest of creation. We're moving to more towards a shared creatureliness. Um, and we're learning more about what animals, how they operate, the, even the emotional lives of animals. Um, we know so little, but we are beginning to learn that there is actually very little difference. Really interesting, I, I heard a radio program where people from all sorts of different disciplines started the conversation off with an acknowledgement that there was very little difference between us and other animals. Um, so that was actually quite an uncomfortable area to look at. And I think, you know, some self-examination goes on there. Um, and then our connection with the rest of creation, again, um, we don't have a very good history. Uh, you know, we dump our waste in the earth, in the sea, we pollute the air, we dump our waste in space. Um, we are messing up our earth and it is our, our home. Um, and we are, we are connected. Um, and I looked at the definition of sustainability um, which is usually defined in, in some sort of way about making uh, sure that the planet is uh, a fit place to live for our children and our grandchildren and so on. But I think that we have to consider not just from the human point of view, but from the point of view of the planet itself. And if you start with celebration, if you start by appreciation and gratitude for what we have, if you look at the extraordinary riches uh, that we have in this planet, the stars, uh, the sea, uh, the natural world, all around us, the extraordinary diversity, the millions of different species. How would we not want to protect that? How would we not want to live our lives so that we um, made sure that the planet was safe? Mm. 
And then you move into the divine. And I love how, um, I don't remember who defined it for you. you. You talked about religion as the infinite and eternal instead of, I think it was your son or somebody that, that you wrote about in the book. But you also talk about our connection with this divine presence and the divine nature in all things. Mm-hmm. Can you speak about that? Well, the the medieval mystic Meister Eckhart said, every creature is a word of God, which I think is one of the most beautiful expressions. Um, So I do see the whole of our lives, the whole of our our world as an expression of God. Um, And I do think that when we connect um, with other species or with other human beings, um the, the the god is in that connection that that is that is my experience a sense of the interconnectedness um being a quality of the divine mm. so how do we navigate this new terrain of, of our interconnectedness because science, spirituality, nature is showing us this. It's like, it's not a question anymore. It's, it's like we have proof right in front of us. How do we deal with the myriad differences in culture, religion, the different ways that we've defined ourselves with boundaries and beliefs? What would you say to that? To... To be aware that we can be mistaken, to be aware that we can change our views, that we can move on, that there are other ways of looking at things. And if you look at the different religious faiths, um, which are usually defined by their difference, um, there is great difference in terms of um, practice, tradition. But when you look at the core when you look at the mystic heart, which is the relationship between the human being and and the divine, difference dissolves. Um, I used to sometimes in workshops, um, when I was talking about mysticism, I would read passages from different faiths about the mystic experience, the direct relationship with the divine, and ask people to tell me which religion they came from. And, you know, they couldn't because they are so similar. So opening up to scriptures from other faiths is is a really interesting thing to do. Um, And I think I find really important to have space in my life, to have enough time and space to go inwards to listen to the small voice, um, to touch the divine if you can, but just to be open uh, because we're, we're all in such a rush, we're all so busy, um, we, we squeeze our time and we don't allow ourselves that necessary opening, that, that heart opening, that space even in the busiest of lives, you can stop, you can pause. I think I like to think of sacred pauses. And there's a lovely expression, between actions, pause and remember who you are. Mm. 
That's beautiful advice for us. You you also had a question that I thought was really busy, beautiful when you're talking about this divine piece here. You had a question in the book that was not a real question. It was in a, a beautiful paragraph, but I'm going to pull the question out that says, is there any such thing as the essential self or is it just the self, the divine in us? Could you speak to that? Hmm. Well, I think it's a question to myself, really. Uh, it, it, it just just came up because I wondered. Um, I like to think that there's an essential self to which I um, need to be true, that I need to try and live up to that essential self, that I, I've always um, reached out for the essential self in, in others because that's what touches me. You know, when you make that eye contact with some somebody, that wordless eye contact, perhaps with someone who doesn't even speak your language, and there is that exchange of something very beautiful. Mm. But maybe that is the divine in the other person. Maybe it is the same thing. It is a beautiful thing to take into contemplation, isn't it? I, I agree with you. It's like when we see ourselves as the self and the divine in us, within us, around us, moving, it's a very different experience. It's kind of like that question um, before the break of how do we shift our consciousness and come into this unity that mm -hmm. we're talking about? Yeah. Mm. There's also another quote in the book that I think is really important, and I, I would love to hear you speak of this. You wrote, living that balance, holding the tension between longing and belonging is the core of a unified life. What does that mean? That's beautiful. Well, I do think that the spiritual life is a, a, a matter of a number of balances um, and, and a, a number of paradoxes. And I think um, I wrote a book about home uh, called Journey Home, uh, which was about our inner and outer belonging. And we have this need to belong. We have this need to feel part of something, rooted in something. Um, and that can be a, a wonderfully safe and beautiful thing, but it can also be a bit of a comfort blanket, um, a bit of a, yeah, a comfort blanket. Whereas longing is, is the sort of stretching out of the divine to all the things that are beyond us that we don't know, a longing for something that we can't even define. So it's that kind of balance between a safe place where one starts out from um, and a reaching out to something huge, bigger than us, far bigger than anything that we can understand. Mm. You, you, your words, even spoken, are so poetically 
divine. It's like you are taking this essence and bringing it to life through your spoken and, and written words. So thank you for that. That was that was beautiful. L- let's talk more about that balance because that's another one of the prescriptions that we have in, in finding balance with not only the longing and belonging, but in all aspects of our life. We live in this world of duality and defining these opposites help us experience life to its fullest what would you what would you say about duality and and really balance finding and achieving that balance well you mentioned um opposites and i do think that um human beings do view things in that way that we define um light by darkness so that we we need both in order to understand one so that we have all these um dualities like good good and evil um and yes light and dark and so on um and joy and suffering and being able to hold those as i mean a bit bit like i i said at the beginning about um, the divided world and, and the unified world, both both are true. Um, light and dark are both there. And it, it's, I think it's about holding those paradoxes in some kind of way um, that just acknowledges the reality of how things are. And that it is only in the divine that there is no duality, that it is completely combined um, it, it tends to be our human way of looking at things. Beautiful. So, Jennifer, there's this little book of connection, and it, listeners, it is little. It's a little book, and um, it's not very large, and it's 60 to 70 pages, small little. I, it, I love the feel of it in my hand. It's this gorgeous little book. Jennifer, what would you say to our listeners of how to use this book? Um, your intention and your writing is beautiful in it, but why would the listeners pick this up? What is? How do they use this book? Why would they pick it up? I hope because they believe that there, there is a oneness at the heart of the, of the universe or that, that they want to explore uh, what that might be. Um, I mean, I guess you, you could just dip into it, but I think probably there is a progression um, that I hope that it does, you know, there is some motivation in turning the page. Um, and I have quotes from wonderfully wise teachers uh, at the head of each chapter. Um, Even if you sat with one of those paragraphs, um, you you don't need to read a whole lot at once. I I remember I once started a a spiritual um, book club and we didn't read a whole book, we read a paragraph. Because if you're dealing with this kind of material, um, and in, in the mornings I always read something from a spiritual book, and I very often only have to read one or two sentences for it to start me off on some understanding that I didn't have before. So if there's anything in this book that speaks to you, if there's anything that um, affirms what you already believe or maybe changes how you think, I, I would be absolutely thrilled. Mm. 
Well, the, I agree with you. Um, I read a spiritual text every morning too, and, and just one little section, one little small chapter, and like you said, a sentence or a paragraph sometimes is enough. Um, this book, I, I just want to give you this feedback that instead of getting a three or 400 page science book talking about connection or having to read different religious texts and getting into the connection. You really have a beautiful way of weaving together um, science and spirituality and nature and our popular thinking. And it, it does just kind of puts an exclamation point, a simple, sweet exclamation point on the conversation. So um, very easy to write, to read, beautiful quotes. I agree with you. So thank you, Jennifer. It is a gift. And I, I encourage our readers to pick it up. This is a great, also, I'm thinking we're having a 40-day um, a campaign that we're doing later this spring. Um and it's 40 Days of Reconnection. This is a great book. I would like to go hand it out to everyone I know. It's just a... This, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I would just love to just go hand this out to everybody because it's easy to read and it is poignant. There's so much in here that that just goes, cuts right through and, and gives us some wisdom. So thank you for that. So I, I also want to come back then and come full circle before the show's over and I would love to hear you speak now of what is our responsibility. I love that the Quaker tradition really advocates taking responsibility and that that, that is our so what would you say to our listeners today? What is our responsibility right here and now in our world? Okay. Off the top of my head, I would say um, the responsibility to be the person that you're meant to be and the responsibility to help make the world a better world. Um, it, it's this sense that of not leaving it up to quotes the experts or the politicians that I said earlier, God has no other hands but ours. And, and the other expression, which is, if not me, then who? Because if we leave it to everybody else, it doesn't happen. Um, and I think it's just a responsibility to do what you can, uh, to stand up for what you believe is right, to not be complicit by silence, um, to relate to the people that you meet uh, to be kind. Kindness, I think, goes a very long way. Um, and to be true. Mm. Kindness. I, I love that prescription. That that's a that's a beautiful directive of taking responsibility. And and even your own story of just reaching out um, and and beginning to serve. What I'm hearing with you is to serve the greater good, serve the greater whole, the good of yeah. the whole. Yeah. Mm. And so you have several stories in the book of these people. You mentioned several with us in this conversation. Um, there was even one of, of an example that someone received a, a, a prize and then they, they shared the winnings with all the finalists. Mm. It's just us beginning to think 
differently about ourselves and our relationships and really just trying things through kindness, through compassion, through more sharing and serving a greater whole. And um, I'm curious how you would answer this, but when I do that, when I just do something randomly out of the blue that's kind or compassionate, I see miracles happening. What do you see when people begin to just be kind and compassionate and do different things? I agree with you that there's a kind of radiance that fills the air when it happens. I'll just give you this wonderful little story, which is like a modern parable to me. One day when we went out giving sandwiches on the street, somebody, a, a woman who was in a skimpy little dress, she was probably in her 50s, it was a cold winter's night, she asked for a blanket, we'd run out. And um, one of the other homeless people up the road called out, she can have mine. And I said, well, what will you do? And he said, she needs it more than I do. What is life about if you can't give a little love? Uh, and I thought, how many of us could do that? That's beautiful. Very beautiful. So every little thing is making a difference. It's rippling out. And this has been a delightful conversation, Jennifer. I really appreciate having you here today. We have about three minutes left in the show. And I wonder if there's anything that you really want to share with our listeners that you haven't had an opportunity to share yet. Um, I wanted to get that story in, which is why I said it quite fast, because I wasn't quite sure how, how long we had. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. <laughs> it is. Um, just how surprising life is. You know, I was in publishing all those years. If someone had told me that I would have been doing what I've been doing over the last 20 years, I would never have believed them. So... But life is so rich, so um, unexpected. We think we can make plans, but actually um, things emerge that are much richer than we could ever have planned. And I think, um, yes, when we can believe that life is rich and we can be positive and we can relate to the people around us and smile, I think that that's, um, that helps. Mm. We can't be happy all the time. Of course we can't. Um, and I, I think detach ourselves from the news a bit, not spend as much time engaged in that. Give ourselves some space. Besides contemplation, what might you do to give yourself space? Well, silence, first thing. I, I, don't, I don't have any um, media on first thing in the morning. I have an hour at least of silence. And as I said, I do read um, as, as some kind of spiritual text at that point. But the important thing is not to have stuff coming at you all the time um, and not to have background noise all the time because we, we get so used to that. Mm, yes. Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing this little book of connection, one of my new favorites. And thank you for joining us today and having this delightful conversation. Thank you very much. Yeah, I thank you. I enjoy every word of it. So I have a quote I want to leave our listeners with from you. It's very short, but again, another one of these pearls that, that you'll find in this book. There is no such thing as the other. 
whatever labels we try to attach to people, there is only us and God in us. Beautiful, beautiful. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. We're here with Jennifer Cavanaugh, author of Heart of Oneness. Thank you for tuning in today. And remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <music>